Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly and in a day, not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Last Wednesday evening, I was led to teach on the consummation of the ages. The material is very important. I don't have time to get into all detail. I will very quickly talk about a few points that were made. And then we want to talk this morning about finishing our course. And these passages of Scripture, it was unveiled to us that we are living in a crucial hour, critical hour. It says that the night is far spent, or the age in which we live is coming to a close. The day is at hand, or a new day is about to dawn. Certain things are happening within the body of Christ. The Spirit of God, first of all, is preparing the body of Christ for the soon coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We emphasize the fact that the believer's process of salvation, the final completion of that process is near than we believed. We point out the fact that the consummation of the ages is at hand. We said that we were instructed here by the Apostle Paul to cast off from ourselves the works of darkness, putting them aside, to keep shiny and bright our Christian armor of light, and also to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, as these scriptures reveal. We said that to put on Christ was a phrase, a Greek phrase that meant to put on another man's point of view, his viewpoints, his interests, his concerns, and begin to imitate and follow him wholly. If Paul can preach such a message at the time in which he lived, how much more can we say that the consummation of the ages is at hand? The completing process of our salvation, that is to wit the redemption of our body, is nearer than we believe. And that the church is being prepared to receive the soon coming return of the Lord Jesus Christ. The body of Christ is being elevated to a more glorious state of being because these things are before us. We're at the dawning of a new day. And the Bible says, As truly as I live, saith the Lord, the whole earth will be full of my glory. And I guarantee on that day, the glory of the Lord shall so fill the earth 
that the graves will open. The dead in Christ will not be able to stay within the bounds. The bodies will be changed and we who are alive will be caught up. Changed in the twinkling of an eye. In the cloud of glory. And of course, you know the story. I want you to turn there with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, if you would, please. Everything is following a certain course. According to the timetable of God, we happen to be living in the time of the Gentiles, the dispensation of grace that began when the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. Senate on high, seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the beginning of the last days, the days of the Gentiles, when God clicked off the time clock of the Jew, clicked on the time clock of the Gentile, poured out His Spirit, and has been waiting for the time of the Gentiles to end. Everything is on a design course. Many believe within the body of Christ that what is called or termed the rapture of the church or the catching away of the saints will mark the close of this dispensation. I know there are many different views and opinions, but let's read the scriptures first of all and then make our comment. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. There are certain things that the Bible says we should not be ignorant of. Mark them down quickly if you like. Number one, don't be ignorant of God's faithfulness to deliver us in the time of our trouble. Number two, do not be ignorant of the fact that God has responsibility in the earth. He is responsible to fulfill His Word, to watch over it, to perform. Number three, we are not to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Concerning the things that pertain to the Spirit, I would not have you to be ignorant, Paul said. By the Spirit. We're not to be ignorant when it comes to God's purpose for Israel and the Jewish people. Here we are not to be ignorant of the resurrection and the future life. And of course, death. And finally, we are not to be ignorant of God's judgment regarding backsliders. Or those who are not walking in the light. Those who have come to the light and they've turned their back on the light and they're walking once again in darkness. And so he says, I will not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. As I said, differences of opinions exist within the body of Christ concerning the teaching or the doctrine of the rapture of the church or the catching away of the saints. However you want to term it, it's fine with me. But we know that the, there are or there exists 
differences of opinion. And you have to ask yourself a question. Why did God reveal such an event, but yet not reveal the timing of it? Why would He reveal to us this was going to occur or to take place, but He did not emphasize when it would take place? Do you think He just revealed to us this particular doctrine so that we can have strife gendered among the body of Christ? Or did He reveal this doctrine just so that we can have contention or conflict with one another? Why did He reveal the catching away of the church, the rapture of the saints, if as of yet seemingly it has not yet benefited anyone? And if it is true that the catching away of the saints will be pre-tribulation, as many believe, and of course many believe mid-trib and post-trib, we understand that, then it's only going to affect a part of the church that's alive upon this earth, at least the living part of the body of Christ, will be a small part of the body of Christ as compared to the many who are already departed. In other words, it is a doctrine that's going to benefit the entire body of Christ, but for those who are alive, that will be a very small part. Because of the many who have already departed to be with the Lord, they're also going to be affected by this occurrence. Why did God reveal it and not tell us about the time. Why didn't he emphasize the time? Why are so many today caught up with trying to be the one to be right in pinpointing the time? Good question. Do you think God is confused or trying to confuse us? Mark this down, my brother and sister, if you want to know the truth. The emphasis has always been on preparation, not on the timing. The emphasis has always been on the preparation, not on the timing of the rapture or the timing of the second advent. But the people of God, especially the theologians, has put the emphasis, many have put the emphasis on the timing rather than on the preparation. You getting that? It'll sink in. Arguing over when it's going to happen, but not prepared for it to happen. My brother, my sister, the emphasis is on preparation. When it happens, does it matter when it happens? Be ready. I said be ready. Pack your bags. Get ready to go. Well, if that's the case, then why the revelation? Number one, write them down. Number one, to inform. Number two, to comfort. Number three, to motivate. Number four, to mark. And I'll explain. Number one, to inform. Number two, to comfort. Number three, to motivate. Number four, to mark. 
And as I was studying this out, I said, there has to be a way to present this, Father God, that's going to be very enlightening, and this is what he gave me. Number one, to inform. Notice verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant. The book of Thessalonians, the first book of Thessalonians was the first recorded writing of the Apostle Paul. Do you recall that Jesus said before he died, before he raised up Lazarus from the dead, that he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. But he that liveth and believeth on me shall never what? But now wait a minute. They were alive, they believed on him, but they were starting to die about this time. We're talking 54 A.D. when that was written. Paul said he's coming. Why are Christians dying? Didn't Jesus say, he that liveth and believeth on me shall never die? Why are the apostles beginning to die? What's happening? To inform. He didn't want us to be ignorant. So he begins to reveal some things for the first time to the church. First letter written by the Apostle Paul has this revelation in it. Don't be ignorant concerning those who have died in Christ so that you don't sorrow as those that have no hope. So, first of all, the revelation of the rapture was given to inform the body of Christ concerning physical death. To enlighten us. To enlighten them. So they can understand and know that death was not the final separation. That is a major primary reason for the revelation of the rapture of the church or the catching away of the saints. Secondly, to comfort the bereaved. To comfort the bereaved. As you read on, at the end of it, notice it says in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these Words, don't be ignorant concerning death. Jesus was not talking about dying physically. He was talking about dying spiritually. And although many have died, it's not the end. Be enlightened, be informed, and be comforted. To bring comfort to the heart of the bereaved. It is not the end. This is what it's all about. Those who have died will not go before those who are alive. God has a plan. Death is not final. Physical death itself is not final, as so many think. But the time is coming, and He reveals this great doctrine. Thirdly, to motivate. We don't have time to get in depth in all these points. Let the Spirit of God enlarge the thoughts in your heart. To motivate another major reason for the revelation of the rapture of the church, the catching away of the saints, and also the second advent of our Lord. It's not on timing that he places the emphasis. It is on preparation, motivation, 
in these things. To motivate the believer to obtain a better resurrection. I did a teaching sometime back called Hope, a Motivating Force. The hope that we have of our salvation, which is the redemption of our body. I want you to hold, well, just going back to Romans very quick. Romans chapter 8. And verse 24, it says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? Notice something here. Was Paul confused? We're not saved by hope, we're saved by faith. No, he wasn't confused. He's talking about the final process of salvation. He's talking about the fact that since we have the hope of the resurrection, since we have the hope of the catching away of the saints, the hope of being changed in the twinkling of an eye, each one of us should be motivated to obtain a more glorious resurrection. And the hope that we have in this change that will take place within us should motivate us to live a godly life here upon this earth, to do service for the Master, fulfill what His plan is for our lives, to give ourselves totally over to Him, to be committed totally unto the work of God, so that we can obtain a better resurrection. And in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 and 3, it talks about the resurrection of the unjust and the resurrection of the just. And those who are wise and lead many to the Lord, they're going to shine like the stars in the firmament. In other words, he says, this blessed hope that we have serves as a motivating force for the believer in his heart to give him something to look forward to, a goal to reach, something to strive for, not only for that family reunion in the sky, but we can obtain a better resurrection. And so this revelation of this doctrine primarily serves not only to inform, not only to comfort, but also to motivate the heart of the believer. And then finally, it serves to mark what I believe the end of this dispensation. Now, of course, I'm, I'm entitled to give my own opinion, aren't I? So in my opinion, when Jesus comes and splits those clouds of glory... The church is out of here. That, that's, that's, those are my convictions. That's my opinion for what it's worth. But I, tell you, I believe that when Jesus comes to split those clouds of glory and those graves are open, it's going to be before the tribulation period. And we're escaping this place. Amen. And then the time clock is going to go back on for the Jew and then Jewish time will take over once again. I want you to see something in the book of Revelation. It's very important when you talk about end times. See, people get so dogmatic and so caught up with timing and all that, improving this and proving that, that they fail to see the beauty of what the revelation was to unveil. They fail to see the significance of the doctrine as it enters into the heart of the believer. It's not to get us in the strife and contention and conflict with one another. It was intended to inform the believer concerning death, the resurrection, and the afterlife. 
It was intended to comfort the heart of the bereaved to let them know it's not the end. It was intended to motivate the believer to shoot for the high prize of the calling of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. And not be satisfied without achieving God's best for his life, a glorious resurrection. And then also to mark the end of this dispensation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, this is the Lord Jesus in verse 7 himself speaking. He says, Behold, I come quickly. Why is he saying that? A lot of time has elapsed since he said that. Why is he saying, I come quickly? Those words are to affect the heart life of the child of God. The teaching of this doctrine is to pierce the very heart of the child of God. To motivate them. To get them to evaluate their position in Christ. I'll show it to you. He says, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. John saw certain things. He heard certain things. He was told certain things. Go on down to verse 10. And he that saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. Say it with me. The time is at hand. Now notice this. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. Not talking about timing. The emphasis is not when. The emphasis is on attitude. The emphasis is on motivation. The emphasis is on preparation. The condition of the heart of the person. If you want to be unjust, be unjust still. I'm coming quickly. If you want to be filthy, let him be filthy still. I'm coming quickly. He that is righteous... Let him be righteous still, because I'm coming quickly. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Verse 12, And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his works shall be. Not just talking about the just. Let the just be just, let the unjust be just. In other words, I am coming quickly. The condition of the heart, the motivation of the heart, the attitude of the heart, the desire of the heart. I'm coming quickly. And my reward is with me. I am the righteous judge. I will judge every man according to their works, to their heart attitude. In other words, in the framework of their life, the attitude that they had. How many of you know that if you're really serving God, totally committed to Jesus... He's coming quickly. Amen. I mean in your lifespan. Whether you died, they died way back in 1900 or whatever. I want you to know something. If they had this doctrine understood within their heart, He was coming quickly to them. He was coming quickly to Paul. He was coming quickly to John. All the saints. It served as a motivation. There's not enough time. The Lord is coming. We've got work to do. We've got to get people saved, delivered, healed, set free in the body of Christ. We're not abiding time. We're supposed to be occupying. Taking advantage of the opportunity that we have to live on this earth to affect this world for Jesus. There's not enough time to get the work of the Lord done. Do you see the attitude where others, where he's not coming, I'm going to eat and drink and be merry and... Just do what I want to do in life. I've got plenty of time, plenty of time. I mean, it doesn't matter what I do. 
I'll get my act together over, over there, you know, maybe on my deathbed. Beloved, to the one who looks for Him, His coming is soon. To the one who says, I've got all this time, He doesn't know where He's going. He doesn't know what manner of spirit He's of. I'm coming quickly, and I've got my reward with me. Thirteen, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that know the time of my coming. Is that what it says? Blessed are they that can predict the day when I come. The emphasis has never been on when. The emphasis has always been on are you prepared for His return or are you prepared for your death? That's been the emphasis. Blessed are they that do His commandments. Blessed are they that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter into the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters, whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. But I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star, we are approaching the dawning of a new day. The bride and the morning star is going to appear in the clouds of glory. And He's coming for those who are doing the will of His Father. And I want you to see that in Matthew 7, verse 21, if you would, please. I want you to find two openings, if you would. Matthew 7. 21, 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, I want you to notice, how many of you know that Jesus truly is the Lord? How many of you know He's the beginning and the end? How many of you know that He knows that He's coming? How many know that He said He's coming quickly? How many of you know that He knows who's going to be with Him? I said, do you know that? Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into, my, into the kingdom of heaven. I've got to repeat that and let it sink in our hearts. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Didn't Jesus say, Blessed is he that keepeth and doeth? No. Not the one that says it, but the one that doeth. He that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Not the one that cries out and just says, Lord, Lord, aren't you my Savior? Aren't you my Lord? No. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Who is my brother? Who is my sister? Who is my mother? Who is my family? What constitutes the family of God? He that doeth the will of my Father 
which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother and the family of God. That's what Jesus said. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 6, we know that God has a plan for man. We know that everything is on a destined course. We must understand that our lives are also on a course. We have begun a race. We're following a certain course. It's not how we begin, but it's how we end that counts. Thank God for how you got in. But I'm telling you something. It's how we end that counts. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, I am now ready to be offered. In the time of my departure is at hand. Unto him that was as a rapture. Unto him he was departing to the other side. Caught up, taken away. The time has come. I've begun a race. But now listen to what he says. I'm ready to go because the time is at hand. But I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. I have fought a good fight. I have finished. It's not when we begin. It's when and how we finish that counts. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. In other words, we all have begun and we all must finish. And although we have our goal in sight, although we have sight of our reward, we do not have possession of that reward as of yet. Although the crown of righteousness is laid up in store for the believer who finishes his course, he or she must finish his or her course in order to obtain the prize. You don't get the prize if you don't cross the finish line. You must cross the finish line to get the prize. And Paul says, I'm running a race. I'm not running as one that beats the air. I have purpose in my heart and within my mind that I'm going to run to win the race. We're all in an individual race. It is not a short-term race. It is a long-distance race. No one else can run the race for us. We have someone who has set the pace. Jesus is the forerunner. He has gone before us. He it is that we are to follow. We are to imitate. We are to pursue His plans, His purposes, His will for our life. We are to set pace with Him. Let Him stay in front of us. We stay behind Him. Set our sights upon Him and look for Him to return as we continue putting Him on. His interests, His concerns his viewpoints, etc. 
following you, Lord, not man, not people, following you. I've begun my race. We have all started. The course will be finished either when Jesus comes to split the clouds of glory or we die physically. In the year 1973, if you recall, the first Jesus festival was held. Many leaders were selected among the leaders within the body of Christ to preach, to minister at that event. Thousands of people gathered around, assembling themselves together for a glorious time in God. Since that time, 15 years have come and gone. 31 Jesus festivals later. 15 years and 31 festivals. If you look back to reflect upon what has happened in leadership since that time, this is what you'll discover. One of the leaders has been divorced twice and is now doing comedy with his third wife. Totally out of the ministry. And when asked about being a part of the fellowship, he said to the brother, everybody's my fellowship. Three others of the selected leaders of the day. Speakers also have been divorced. One is totally out of the ministry. The other one continues in the ministry. And the third one was excommunicated due to the fact that he forsook. He left wife. He left his children. And he married his secretary. He's still in the ministry. Ministering where people are unaware of his past. These leaders represent a small percentage, my brother and sister, of the casualties within the body of Christ since 1973. A small percentage. Many who gathered around, thousands of them, who supposedly committed themselves to Christ, who made supposedly an open confession of faith in Him. Many are no longer walking with the Lord Jesus Christ today. Not only has the leadership been affected, but so has the entirety of the body of Christ. And you stop and think that through and you find out what kind of spirit has been allowed to enter in to the body of Christ in the days in which we live. You know, the body of Christ is accepting some things 
that once would never have been accepted. And allowing certain things that would never have been allowed. I want to show you a scripture. If, if first, here in a second, go to First Timothy. And chapter three and verse five. And I want you to see the first Timothy chapter five and verse eight. How many of these people started a race thinking that the race that they were in was a short distance one and not a long distance one? How many of these people that started in this race really and truly repented of their sins and experienced true regeneration? Or how many just confessed something with their lips that had no meaning from their hearts? How many truly confessed and professed yet have as an act of their will turned to take another course of action and they are not at present following the right course? It makes us wonder, doesn't it? I'm going to say it, and I believe it's necessary to be said at this hour. I'm not here to gain any public notoriety. I'm not here to appease men and please the ears of people. I'm here to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and to preach the gospel holding back nothing. There's something with, there's a heresy in the body of Christ that's being accepted in the body of Christ today that never at once would have been accepted. You know what? I, I like to do something about it, but it's difficult to know how to do it, what to do. People seemingly are accepting Jesus Christ verbally as a Savior without truly repenting, experiencing regeneration. Making Him Lord, being committed to obey. The teaching of faith never, never was intended for people to make a confession of Christ as Savior or Lord, just verbally, apart from true heartfelt repentance and active obedience to the Lordship of Christ, overcoming sin and standing against the wiles of the devil. Yet, we have so many allowed to take positions and places within the body of Christ who do not show forth true repentance, who do not bring forth Christian fruit. I want you to see some scriptures that are going to be very difficult, but I want you to see them. First, First Timothy 3, 5. 
For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Five, First Timothy 5 and verse 8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is equal with an infidel. Does it say equal with? Everybody tell me what it says. I want you to notice that those who are in leadership are called, ordained, set apart by God to start doing what is the design, plan, purpose, and will of God for their lives and the fulfillment of the ministry whereunto they are called. No matter what position we are in within the body of Christ, it applies to all of us. When it comes to the family life, and we'll talk about this in a minute, when it comes to the family life, the marital relationship is to do what? Is to picture the relationship that Christ has with the church. It is absolutely essential and absolutely important that home life has top priority within the body of Christ and in the hearts and minds of the people, especially those who are in Christian leadership. If a man can walk away from his wife and walk away from his children, leave them to satisfy, to gratify his own sensual passions and desires, I don't have to reveal what the Scriptures teach about that. It's very plain for all of us to see. In the eyes of God Almighty Himself, that person is worse than an infidel, and He has denied the faith. But how many would stand up and say, Brother, do you see how God classified you? Do you see what you've done? We've accepted so many things within the body of Christ. It's okay. It's all right. Beloved, if we can't take care of our own household, how are we going to take care of the church of God? If we can't provide for our own, we're worse than an infidel. We've denied the faith. Is that word denied there? I said, is that word denied there? It doesn't matter what comes from a person's mouth. That person has denied, 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 denied the faith. I'm not saying there's not forgiveness. I'm saying it's hard to be found. I'm saying it's difficult to get beyond that, that place where you draw the fine line between emotional desires and true heartfelt repentance. Being sorry for the consequence and truly being sorry for the cause. Beloved, you think you're going to be hearing some hard things. We're going to be hearing some hard things. Do you know why? Because the body of Christ is being purified. I said, the day in which we live, the glory of the Lord is being revealed and He is burning up the chaff. The consuming fire of God's holiness is, is being revealed in the earth right now to burn up the chaff. To burn up the chaff. And that's what's happening. We're going to have a church full of glory without spot, without blemish, and without wrinkle because the glory of the Lord is being revealed and people are not going to hold back the truth. Amen. 
But I want you to see this clearly. If any man does not provide for his own house, he has denied the faith. Now, we're not talking about the situations that, that exist because we have no control of those situations. We know that, that people leave and, and let's say if a, if a husband leaves the wife, we're not talking about the wife. If a husband walks away from that relationship, uh, he, he walks away from that relationship, he is denied the faith. If a wife, she chooses to walk out of that relationship being a child of God in the full light. I'm not talking about hidden in darkness. I'm not talking about those who are not saved and that happened. Talking about those who are born again, blood washed, spirit filled, tongue talking, faith walking, understanding their responsibility walk, walk, to walk in love. Walking in love, my brother and sister, is not an option in the body of Christ. It is a commandment. It is a definite commandment. Just like one of the Ten Commandments. Yet that person can walk away, leave the children, leave the wife, or leave the husband, leave the children, and go off and live in adultery, go off and live in fornication, and, do what, and, and think, well, I'm going to church over here. That person has denied the faith. And in the sight of God is worse than an infidel. And better come to that realization... Why? Because the time is short. The life we live is a life of decision. How many of you know that? It's a life of decision. Not just confession. Aimless confession. It's a life of decision. It's a life of choice. You say, what if I did it and, and, I, and I can't change it now? Thank God there's forgiveness for you. Thank God you could be forgiven but what I'm saying is, you don't go on thinking that everything is hunky-dory and peaches and cream in my life. What are we talking about? There are those that have heard the unadulterated word of truth. And young people, listen carefully. Who have started their race with Jesus, who know better, who are entering into relationships with people who are not married, committing fornication, etc., etc., living together. I've talked with them, I know. Living together. It doesn't matter how hard you preach. It doesn't matter how loud you shout from the pulpit. They're still living in it. And supposedly loving Jesus. What are we presenting to our generation? And I'm sorry to say it this way, my brother and sister, you can have your own convictions. It's time to start presenting a rock and roll Jesus. It's time to start presenting a loose type of Christianity. A disciple is a student who studies the Master to follow Him, to imitate Him, to do the will of the Father. Not to live in fornication and not get married, etc., and continue on and say, well, we go to church, I believe in God, and as long as I believe in God, everything is okay. No, it's not. I said, no, it's not. Don't be deluded. Don't be deceived. We can start there, and we can go right on, and we can call out so many things. You know what? I believe God is tired of hearing gossip among the body of Christ. 
The time has come to cast off from ourselves the works of darkness. Don't walk in jealousy. Don't walk in envy. Don't walk in strife. But love one another as Christ loves us. Can I say something I think, is, I don't know how it's going to affect everybody, but I'll tell you what, I just can't stop. It's the power of God on me. Amen. We're not here for entertainment. Amen. We're not here to get together socially right now. And I thank God for every acquaintance. I thank God for gathering together with people. You know, we tried as pastor and pastor's wife to try to have people over our house. We can't do that. We've tried. You know why? If you have this section right here, we'd be booked up for the first six months of the year. And then if we had that section right over there, we'd be rest for the, for the, till the rapture comes. And if we thought we'd have to have the whole amount, look out for the second advent or the thousand year millennial reign. I don't know. But we tried that. And some get upset whether you don't, whether you do, whatever. My beloved, thank God for fellowship. I believe in it. But we have a higher purpose for being on this earth. Thank God for activities. Hallelujah. Young people, thank God we provide. You know what? It's time that we start saying, young people, I'll tell you what. Come to church, not for the pizza, not for the ice cream. Come to church because you love God. Come to church to worship Him and to bless Him and to glorify Him and lift up your voice and say, I'm going to live right for Jesus. When they start hearing that kind of a gospel preached once again, we're not going to have to woo them in with rock and roll music. And I mean that. I say that from the depth of my being. I have come out of being in the presence of God. I've turned on the radio. I've listened to some of it. And you know what? I can't stand it. I've got to turn it off. You can have your opinion. That's okay. But I'm going to tell you something. That's not going to hold Jesus. Those leaders weren't held by that kind of mentality. The young people will never be held. You say, but we get more in. How many do we lose? We present this Jesus that it doesn't matter. Oh, just repent. Sleep together. Live together. You know, what's this all about? One says it doesn't matter if I practice pornography. It's my profession. The two prostitutes says, I do this for Jesus because he loves me and I'm loving people with my profession. Yes, dear Lord, what kind of a society are we living in? You know why we've got to preach loud like this in the United States of America? Because all the garbage that's out there that the devil has presented and propagated throughout this land has filtered into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and we've lost the sense of the holiness of a living God. If we are to be divinely led, if we are to be spirit-led, my brother and sister, he named the, the Spirit of God exactly as he wanted to name Him the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Then we've got to be a holy people. A holy people. If those leaders fell like that, and you say, what percentage? You know what? I think people would be surprised by the percentage of the people who say that they're in the work of God are experiencing the same thing. I believe people would be more amazed if they really knew and understood. You know, you can't see the heart of a person. 
Yet sometimes you sit back and you hear everybody ooh in awe about how great that person spoke. And whoa, what a demonstration, etc., etc., etc. And yet I've heard them with my own ears say how they've lived their lives of sensuality. You know what? That kind of spirit shouldn't be teaching our young people anything. He said it's time to set aside the licentiousness, the worldly lusts. Beloved, we are living in the day that we need to overcome these things. And we need to speak out loud. We need to proclaim the truth because the day of the Lord is at hand. This is, the time has come that black is black and white is white. And you know what? Even if it's an implication that it might be something that is not acceptable in the sight of the Lord. And you know what? You know what I say about this? Do you want to hear I answer questions? Is it right to smoke? Is it wrong to smoke? You know what? Put black on black, put white on white. You won't have to ask any questions. Is it right to drink? Is it wrong to drink? Listen. Listen. Should you touch it? Shouldn't I touch it? Put black and black and white and white. Why do we have to walk down the, the, so close on that line? Why do people have to ride the fence? Why can't we tell it like it is? Why can't people be totally committed to Jesus? I'm going to go further. I, I have to. I'm going to go step further. You know how difficult it is to stand up here many times and look out there and wonder how many really sincerely experienced regeneration? How many are going with the flow? This is the thing to do, man. Be born again. This is the thing to do. Everybody's being born again. Didn't you hear about that? You know what? We even provide the words. I said we even provide the words. You can walk right up to somebody and you can say, look, repeat after me. And they can look you right in the eyeball and repeat after you. And we use every means we possibly can. I do it myself. I do it at funerals. I do it at weddings. But I always say this, oh, Father... I'll supply the words. I'll, do, I'll go to any length you want. I can't motivate the heart. I can't make that heart be right. I can't reveal the truth. You know what, people? For those words to work, you've got to seek God. I said for those words to work, you've got to want Him from this here, this, this heart, the man on the inside. That's what faith is all about. I can't make somebody have faith. I can't stand there and, and pour it into them and say, say their heart is right. You know how many times people send me to hospitals to see their loved ones? You know how many times I walk away and say, yeah, they prayed the prayer. And all when I get out there, I say, oh, my God in heaven. May it, my prayer is that it came from their heart because I don't know the heart of the person. I'm talking about people that were in, in, in terminal situations. Some even said, well, they died an hour later, a day later. This is not a matter of making a confession. Hallelujah. We're in. You can't do that. You look out and you say, oh, my Father, God, how many are playing church? How many have been born again? How many love God? How many want to serve Him? How many are excited about coming together and worship? People must think he likes to come out three times a week and just stand up there and walk around and preach and play the guitar. 
My flesh rebels just like your flesh rebels. There's some time on Sunday night I'd like to eat a pizza. And just sit down with myself and my family, put on uh, Sunday night football, ESPN. (laughs) And just sit back with a big old Wedgwood pizza, being very descriptive. Extra cheese and half black olives. Kick off the shoes. What, true confessions? But I guarantee you, you'll see me here tonight. And I guarantee you, I'll be on fire. What, is this a job? This is not a job for me. This is a joy. I said, this is a joy. Because my heart is in it. I'm not quitting. I'm not giving up. I look out there and see young people. You know what? By the Spirit of God, your heart's going to be reached with the words of life, as far as I'm concerned. I come to this place with an attitude that's proper, that is attitude that is right. We get in that office and we stir up the things of God and praise God. We present to the people of God something that has substance to it. Something that's going to provide success and life to the people of God. And you know what? It is my heartfelt prayer and desire that everybody out there gets in line with what is happening. That they get in tune with the Spirit of God and they open up their insides to Him and say, Oh Lord, you gave, you, you gave me the new birth. Now you just get back inside there and you refresh me. You correct every wrong. You change every attitude. Here I am. I want to serve you. I want to see you. I want to be pure before you. I want to be a new breed of people upon this earth. One who is totally sold out. One is totally dedicated to your work and to your will upon this earth. I'll come with joyful lips. I'll come with a joyful heart. And I'm coming here to magnify and bless your holy name. I'm coming here to be an example to young people. When they see me, they'll see Jesus all over me and His countenance just flowing out from me. Oh, hallelujah. I've got some things that I didn't get to that that need to be gotten to. I don't know when we'll do them. But my brother and my sister, forget, you know, I, I thank God for all this. What I'm saying is this. What God is saying by His Spirit is this. He is moving right now. Say it with me. God is moving. By His Spirit. I have a course. My course. That I must follow. One day. That course. Will come to an end. Did you hear that? I want that to sink in. That day is sooner than we think. That day is sooner, young person, than you realize. It's sooner than we all think. We're coming to a close of an age, a dispensation. The hour's at hand. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. 
If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.